The sermon for today is from 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 7, 17 through 24, and 32 through 35. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when you were called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. You ever been on a silent retreat? You know what a silent retreat is? It's, a, it's actually a practice that is very broadly practiced across many religions, uh, psychologies, therapies, wellness plans. It's a, it's a period of time where you, you pull away. You pull away from all the distractions of the world, of your life, uh, no, no phone, no technologies, no work, no people. And, and the Christian version of it is that plus your Bible and time in prayer and meditation before God, undistracted. So silent retreats are, are good. There, there's nothing wrong with them. In fact, there are important times in life where you do need to, to pull away and get to a quiet place and be undistracted and not have your phone attached to you. That, that's all good, and it's, there's, there's a right time for that. But over the history of Christianity, some have taken the silent retreat, which is so good, right? disconnected from the world and totally and completely devoted and connected to God, and said, wow, if we can do that for a short period of time, why not do that 24-7? Why not do it all the time? 
That's actually what gave birth to monasteries right? and, and monks who would leave the world and, and go into monasteries where they could be undistracted and purely devoted to the Lord. And the, the monastic movement really started in the, the, at least formally in the third, fourth centuries. But the heart behind it and the thought behind it started way earlier. In fact, it started here in the Corinthian church. Because what we see here in 1 Corinthians 7 is a picture of that, and we're going to get to it. Paul's goal in this chapter, Paul's concern, the concern of his heart is spelled out in verse 35. All that he describes in this chapter right, is, is really concludes or centers on verse 35. To secure your undivided, that word means undistracted, devotion, which also means constant service, to the Lord. Paul says, I want to secure your undivided, undistracted devotion to Christ. And the reality is the Corinthians wanted the same thing. They had an idea of how to achieve that. And Paul is actually writing them to correct their understanding. So what we're going to look at here is what devotion to Christ does not mean what devotion to Christ means, and then we're going to apply it to various situations in life. So let's start with what devotion to Christ doesn't mean. Number one, it doesn't mean hyper-spirituality. Now, what do I mean by that? Look at verse one. Now, concerning, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now, understand what's happening here. At this point in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church and in the chapters to come, Paul is responding to what we believe is a letter that the Corinthian church wrote to Paul about various issues that they wanted counsel on. They wanted advice on. And so every time you see that phrase, now concerning, which is gonna appear in the chapters to come, that's Paul saying, now concerning this bitch you wrote to me, let me tell you my thoughts on it, okay? And so verse one, in quotes, you'll see apparently what was in the letter that they wrote to Paul, which was, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now, apparently there were some in the Corinthian church that believed that to be truly spiritual, to be truly devoted to Christ, you had to avoid sex. And I would take it a step deeper. There's a deeper line of thought or a line of thinking that was pouring into this. And that is this, that spirituality is disconnected from bodily action. In other words, spirituality is disconnected from your physical body. That was the line of thinking that produced this statement. So to be truly spiritual and avoid sex. Now, this, this line of thinking that, that spirituality is disconnected from the, the physical body leads to two, one of two extremes, okay? The one extreme is, if that's the case, then it doesn't matter what I do with my body. It just doesn't matter. It's irrelevant what you do with your body. What matters is this inner state of spirituality and, and the right mind and your soul. So what you do with your body just doesn't matter. That's one extreme. The other extreme is, then you beat your body. You discipline your body. You, 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 Stamp down those things that can distract your spirituality. And that is what really was happening here in this instance in Corinth. It was, listen, 
avoid sex so that it doesn't distract your true spirituality, your pure, true devotion to Christ. Now, how does Paul respond to this? He, he utterly rejects it. He says, this is unchristian. Why? Look at verse two. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. You see what's happening here. On the heels of chapter six, that says flee sexual immorality, in the beginning of chapter seven, Paul says don't flee sex. Right? Flee sexual immorality, but don't flee sex. Right? Look at verse three. Husbands and wives should give themselves sexually to one another. That's what conjugal rights means. It basically means that as a husband and wife, that you're obligated to give to one another sexually. Then verse four, husbands and wives don't have authority over their own bodies. The husband's body belongs to the wife. The wife's body belongs to the husband. They belong to each other. And then the only, the, the, the fitting conclusion is verse five. In marriage, don't deprive one another of sex except for a limited time that you devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again. Do you see what's happening here? The Corinthians had gotten to a place where they believed that to be truly spiritual, to be truly devoted to Christ, you had to deprive yourselves of sex. And Paul says just the opposite. If you wanna be truly spiritual, if you wanna be truly devoted to Christ, don't deprive yourselves of sex except for a limited period of time to pull away for a silent retreat, so to speak, right, of prayer and meditation. See, Paul, he's, he's flipping it. He's flipping it over on him. Why is this the case? Because sex is not bad. Sex is not evil. Sex is a beautiful, good creation of God. It belongs to God. He made it. He created it. It's good. Had last, uh, last Sunday in our community group, one of our, the people in our community group gave a great illustration. Said, you know, fire in a fireplace is good, right? It provides warmth. It provides light. It provides a pleasing aroma, right? But fire outside of the fireplace is destructive. Right? It'll burn your house down. Same thing is true with sex. Sex within the design of God, one man, one woman in marriage is beautiful and good. Paul says, don't, don't flee sexual immorality. Flee the, the, the sex outside the design of God, but within marriage as God's designed it, don't flee sex. It's a good creation of God. But outside of marriage, outside of the way God designed it, it's destructive. And you see plenty of examples of that. So devotion to Christ doesn't mean hyper-spirituality disconnected from the physical body. Listen, Jesus didn't come, and I hope you hear this theme, last week and again this week. Jesus did not come and put on a body and then raise from the dead in a body to free you from your body to some higher degree of spirituality. Makes no sense. In fact, if that were the case, if to be truly devoted to Christ, you have to just, you have to remove yourself from the physical world, the material world, remove yourself from your evil physical body. If that were the case, then why in the world does Jesus still have a body? For eternity. Right? Devotion to Christ 
doesn't mean hyper-spirituality, disconnected from the physical. It means engaging the physical, engaging the material in a, in a, in a redemptive way as God's designed it. So that's number one on devotion to Christ. Doesn't mean hyper-spirituality. Second, devotion to Christ doesn't mean better circumstances. In verses 12 to 16, Paul's going to address a marriage between a believer and an unbeliever. Look at verse 12. If any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. And then vice versa in verse 13. Now, why is, why is it Paul encouraging this and what's happening in Corinth that's causing him to say this? Well, there were some that had come to know Jesus Christ in their existing marriage and their spouse was not a believer. And so they were asking the question, in my new relationship with Jesus Christ, to be truly devoted to Jesus and to grow in my walk with him, do I need to leave my spouse? Do I need to end this marriage? Do I need to go find a believing spouse that can help me in my walk with Christ? The question they were asking was this, will my walk with God and devotion to Christ be compromised by remaining with an unbelieving spouse? Do I need to seek better circumstances? Do I, not, do I need to seek a new marriage situation? Right. Paul's answer is, look at verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. See, Paul says, you're fearing the negative influence of an unbelieving spouse. And he says, it's just the opposite. The influence of the believing spouse is greater. John Calvin says it this way, the godliness of the one, who do, the godliness of the one does more to sanctify the marriage than the ungodliness of the other to make it unclean. See, so Paul's speaking here of maintaining a marriage that exists in this state. He's not talking about starting a marriage in this place, but one that already exists. The devotion to Christ is not found in better or different circumstances. It, it surfaces again. Look at verses 17 to 24, specifically verse 18. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. And then verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. And then Paul goes on to talk about slavery. If you're a slave, stay a slave. And if there's an opportunity to avail yourself of freedom, sure, do it. But don't, don't be concerned about getting out of it, right? Remain where you are. And then he concludes the whole thing with verse 24. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him Remain with God. What's Paul addressing here? It's the inclination that's in every one of us, which is if I, if I don't like my situation, if I'm not happy with my situation, then I would do better and be stronger in my devotion to Christ if I changed my situation. And Paul says that is just not true. 
I love how one, one commentator says it. How can we best redirect our energy into making the best of the situation rather than in worrying about whether things could be different? And we spend so much time. Here, here's the reality. Our situation is never going to be how we would draw it up because we are in a broken world in broken bodies. But there's such this, this inclination that when I'm in a situation I don't like, I'm going to seek a different situation and that it would be better for me and better for me in my walk with Christ. I'm going to flee where I'm at. And Paul says, no, it just is not true. Devotion to Christ does not mean a better or a different situation. He says, if you're single, remain single. You can get married one day. If you're married, stay in marriage. If you're engaged, be engaged. If you're widowed, be widowed. But don't think that, that devotion to Christ is going to increase or get stronger, or that you're going to be more spiritual if you can get out of a situation. Right? Paul says, remain. Remain where you're at. Okay, so if, if devotion to Christ doesn't mean those two things, right, hyper-spirituality or better circumstances, then what does it mean? What does it mean? First, faithfully embracing God's assignment. Look at verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him into which God has called him. Right? The Lord assigns the situation that we're in. The Lord assigns it. Now, remember, the goal of all of this in verse 35 is, Paul says, to secure undivided or undistracted devotion or constant service to the Lord. So what we see here is our call is to, to constant service in the service of Christ. But the situation that God gives us in which to serve is in his, his, his hands, right? He assigns the situation. Our call is to serve in whatever situation he places us, whether it's single, married, engaged, widowed, whatever the situation is in life. We're called to serve. God assigns. God assigns the situation. And the call here from Paul and what was happening in the Corinthian church is to not clamor for something different. If you're single, don't clamor for marriage. If you're marriage, don't clamor to be single again. If you're widowed, be in widowhood, right? I, I'm coaching my son's flag football team. Actually, I'm the assistant coach to an, a phenomenal head coach. His name's Brian Hassel. Some of you know who he is. We're, we're coaching these boys. And, uh, and it's five on offense, five on defense. And so we'll get in the huddle with the boys to say, who's gonna, you know, what we're gonna do for this play? You know, and Brian will be assigning positions. So, hey, you're going to be center. You're going to be quarterback. You're running back one. You're running back two. You're receiver. Hold up the card. This is who you are. This is the play. Now let's go execute. And every so often I'll have, you know, as Brian's kind of barking out the orders, I, I'll have a kid say, I, I want the ball. I want to be running back. Another kid goes, I, I want to be quarterback. And I'll say, listen, this is your position for this play. And everybody has an assignment. And if you'll do your assignment, we're gonna succeed as a team. Now, I expect their answer to be, 
Coach, thank you so much for that insightful description of assignments. I get it, and I am ready to do my assignment now. No, typically it's, I want the ball. I want to be running back. I want to be quarterback. Devotion to Christ means embracing God's assignment. Devotion to Christ means embracing his assignment, the situation he's placed you in, whatever it may be, single, married, engaged, widowed. But it's not just that, right? Devotion to Christ is embracing the assignment, the situation, but it's also having the right perspective on the assignment, the right perspective on it. Look at verse 7. I wish that all were as, my, as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Then Paul goes on to say in verse eight, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Paul says that your situation in life is a gift. In verse seven, it's a gift. Now, we typically think about gifts in the sense of spiritual gifts, the way God's wired you, the way God's given you a skill, right, to, to carry out in his kingdom. What's, what's really interesting here is that the gift here is not how he's wired you to, to serve him. It's actually the situation he's placed you in. That is the gift that God's given is the situation that he's placed you in. Now, let me, let me apply this to one situation you could be in. It's actually the situation in verse seven and eight that Paul directly applies it to, and that is singleness. Singleness can feel like a punishment. And yet Paul says here, it's a gift. And I will speak into it because my wife and I were single into our 30s. And so if you're single, everything you have felt or feel as a single, my wife and I have felt it. I remember the days when I longed to be married. I remember feeling like it was some form of punishment from God, feeling like he was withholding for some reason, that maybe I hadn't reached the spiritual level I was supposed to reach, whatever that means. Or maybe there was sin in my life. And I'd go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and say, God, but you, <laughs> marriage is good. So I experienced the singleness as a punishment. And if it wasn't punishment, we both experienced it as single, singleness as second-class citizenship in the church. And I will spare you the conversations. I'll spare you the quotes that produce that thought. What Paul says here is singleness is not a punishment. Singleness is not second-class citizenship in the kingdom or the church. He says singleness is a gift. And Paul doesn't elevate marriage above singleness. Listen, what he wrote in chapter seven was revolutionary in the first century. Because in, in the Roman and Greek culture, marriage was elevated. And singleness was, was demoted. And what Paul does here is he's giving dignity to the single life. 
And so if you're single and you're struggling in the midst of it, I want you to hear loud and clear from God. It is a gift from God. It's not punishment. It's a gift. Paul gives dignity here to the single life. And he also gives dignity to women. It was revolutionary in the first century. I won't go into it, but the first seven verses of mutuality in marriage, not husband and wife's down here, some mutuality. He gives dignity to women. He gives dignity to singleness. And it's beautiful, right? Because he's given dignity to every situation that he assigns, whether it's single, married, engaged, widowed, right? He's, he's elevating, right? The situation that he assigns, whatever you're in. Now, let me just say the obvious here, that this can be a little hard to swallow, right? If, if you're in a situation that you don't want to be in, if you're single and you want to be married, for instance, it can be a little hard to swallow to hear it's your assignment, it's a gift, suck it up and get over it. It can almost feel like God is stoically removed, that he's maybe masochistic and that he enjoys watching you just wallow in your pain and your situation. And it couldn't be farther from the truth. Look at, look at the end of verse 22. Says you are a slave of Christ. He's, what he's setting up there is that Jesus Christ is master. And as your master, he has the right to assign your situation. But then look at verse 23. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. You were bought with a price. Your master, Jesus Christ, has every right to assign your situation. But as your master, he shed his own blood for you. He laid down his life for you. He bought you with his blood. He endured tremendous pain physically, emotionally, spiritually for you so that he could buy you out of awful slavery to men, to sin so that he can buy you out of that slavery and be a gracious, kind master, so that when he does assign the situation, it's not a master that's stoically removed, that says, get over your pain. It's your assignment. No, you've got a master, Jesus Christ, that gets your pain. He entered into your pain on the cross. He poured out his blood for you. That's how much he loves you. And from that posture, can you believe that his assignment, that your situation is good and that it's a gift because it comes from such a master that would lay down his life for you? Changes everything. When Jesus says, this is your assignment and it's a gift, you can say yes to that because the struggle that you have in the midst of your situation pales in comparison to the struggle that Jesus had, right? The painful struggle to win your salvation, to win your redemption. We know what comes from him is good. So we've looked at what devotion to Christ doesn't mean. It's not hyper-spirituality. It's not better circumstances. We've looked at what it means, faithfully embracing God's assignment, whatever situation he has you in, and seeing it as a gift, as a gift from him. Finally, let's, let's apply it. Let's apply this devotion to Christ into the four major situations that Paul describes here. Okay, he describes singleness, 
marriage, engagement, and widowhood. Let's start with singleness. We've already seen it's a gift. Why, though? Why is it a gift? Look at verses 32 to 33. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man, the single man, is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and vice versa in verse 34. Now, obviously, Paul's not saying here that you can't serve Christ married. Not his point here. What he is saying, though, is as a single you have, or an unmarried person, you have a unique opportunity to serve Christ that you will not have in marriage. As a single person, you have a unique opportunity. Much of it's bound up in the time that you have. But a unique opportunity to serve Jesus in a way that when you're married, you won't have. And so Paul's saying, take advantage of that. Don't, don't long to be married and miss the opportunity that's right in front of you that the Lord's given you. Okay? That's, that's singleness. Second, let's talk about marriage. It would be easy to walk away from this passage thinking that Paul doesn't care about marriage. Right? He makes several statements in here that you could walk away going, Man, I, I don't think Paul wants anybody to get married. Everybody just wants to be single like Paul, right? Well, that's not true. In Ephesians 5, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he talks about the beauty of marriage and the purpose of it. Verse 28 he says, but if you do marry, you have not sinned, right? Paul anticipates the question, right? What well, he's writing here, they're saying, well, should anybody get married? Is it wrong, Paul? He's saying, no, it's not wrong to get married. It's not a sin. And then he says, and if, the, if a betrothed woman marries, if an engaged woman marries, she has not sinned, right? Paul's saying, it's not wrong to get married. Paul believes in marriage. It's a good thing. Look what he says, though. Yet those who marry, in verse 28, yet those who marry, will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Now, what does he mean by this? Probably more so in the first century than we understand today in our individualistic Western culture. In the first century, when you got married, you incurred heavy responsibilities of the families, your own family, your spouse's family, the in-laws, big, big responsibilities. And you put that on top of the relational anxieties in marriage, right? Which none of us understand, right? Marriage is perfect. No, you understand that, that when you get married, you've got, you've got in-laws, never issues there, right? You've got in-laws, you've got families, you've got the, the relational working out between husband and wife, there's a lot. And what Paul's saying is that all of those pressures, all of those anxieties can turn a marriage inward where you completely lose sight of the reason why you got married in the first place and of the mission of Jesus Christ, right? In marriage, you can get so inundated with the relational pressure, with the family pressures and the expectations that your marriage completely loses sight of being in constant service of the Lord, right? Devotion to the Lord. Paul says marriages need to serve Christ but it's challenging when you put those pressures and those anxieties on. So the question is, in your marriage, have, have you lost sight of the greater mission? Have you lost sight of the mission to Christ, of serving Christ because of these pressures and these anxieties that have piled on? 
Third, engagement or betrothal. In verses 25 to 31, Paul speaks to the betrothed or the engaged. And again, he says, remain where you are, right? Look at verse 27. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife, right? Again, Paul's not saying, listen, if you're engaged, just don't get married. Just stay engaged forever. No, he's not saying that. He already said in verse 28, if, if, if an engaged woman gets married, that's okay. It's not sin. His point is this, right? If you're engaged, don't look to marriage to solve all your problems. Don't look to marriage to be the savior. Don't look to marriage to be the Messiah. Don't look to marriage to be that better circumstance that's gonna get you out of, of the current situation you're in, right? Marriage was never designed to be your savior or your Messiah. Never designed to do that. That when you enter marriage, when two people enter marriage, understanding that their first, pri- first priority is to the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, then marriage flourishes. It's when two people enter marriage turned in thinking that the other is gonna satisfy and the other is gonna be the Messiah and the Savior. That's when marriage starts, it starts falling apart. Never meant for that, right? We're married first to our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And when we're married to Christ, then our earthly marriages flourish. That's what Paul's saying here, right? It's the whole better circumstance thing. Don't look to marriage to do what it's not designed to do if you're engaged. And then fourth, widowhood. And I would just say here, Paul doesn't say this directly, but he infers it. As a widow, you have so much to offer the church and this world. There is so much pain associated with losing a spouse, especially if you've been married for many, many years. And there's so much pain of of losing what you feel like is half of your being because your spouse is gone. And there's so much potential temptation to feel like I don't have anything to offer because my spouse is gone. And what Paul does here is he gives dignity to widowhood to say Jesus has plans for you. Jesus longs to use you. You are in constant service to him. And listen, if if you are a widow, you've experienced all four of these major situations. You've been single. Listen, you have something to say to the single in in this church. You have something to say to the single in, in the singles in the world around you. You've been there. You've been engaged. You have something to say to the engaged. You've been married. Maybe for many years before losing your spouse, you have something to say to the married. Jesus says, you are in constant service to me. He knows your pain. He feels it. And he's going to use you. He is going to use you in ways that you could never imagine in the midst of the pain that you felt in losing your spouse. He, He dignifies widowhood and says, the church needs you. The world needs you. Let me conclude where I began. We tend to think that we can really serve Christ and really be devoted to Christ if we can remove the distractions from our lives. As I said, that's what gave birth to monasteries. We think that if I can just get a better situation, if I can just remove this distraction, then I can really walk with Christ. 
I can really serve Christ. The problem is we have the wrong understanding of the distraction that actually keeps us from having undivided devotion to the Lord. You see, we think the distraction is the situation that we're in. That the situation we're in is the distraction that keeps us from being devoted to Christ. Paul says, no, just the opposite. It's not the situation. It's the worrying about getting into a different situation that's a distraction. And that's why this whole chapter, he says, remain where you're at. Right, that the distraction that can pull us from Christ and keep us from constant service to Christ is the worrying about and the anxiety about somehow getting a different situation. That's the distraction that Paul's talking about. Jesus Christ remained on the cross. Jesus Christ didn't seek better circumstances. He didn't seek the easy way out. He remained on the cross and shed his blood so that you could constantly serve him in whatever situation he has given you, that you could remain in the situation he has given you and serve him. Let's pray. Father, it is so easy for us to feel like the situation that we're in, as hard as it is, as broken as it is, feeling like if we could only get out of a situation that we could really serve you, that we could really be devoted to you, Jesus. And would you help us to see this morning by your spirit that it's just not true? Would you help us to trust, trust the assignment, trust the situation that you have put us in? Father, those that are single, that they would embrace singleness. Those that are engaged, they would embrace engagement. Those that are married, that they would embrace marriage. Those that are widowed, that they would embrace widowhood. And that Holy Spirit, you would use us as we offer our lives in service to you, Jesus. Spirit, that you would use us to proclaim your goodness and that you would keep our hearts in a place of undivided, undistracted devotion. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.